Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North on this Tuesday, May 9th, just after 4.02 Eastern Time. Every now and then we had, well, maybe it just happened the once, but I'm going to roll with it as every now and then. We get, like, the truthers that think it's not actually live, and I keep meaning to get, like, a print copy of a newspaper, except I try to avoid leaving the house, and I don't want to get a subscription to have one delivered here. So uh, I can instead show you the, I can't show you the date on my phone because I have, like, texts that I don't want you to read that are on my home screen. There we go. So so we are actually live today and we try to be as much as possible simply because things happen at such a breakneck speed it's difficult to otherwise keep up with them but I do want to today take a little bit of a look back at the Liberal Convention this weekend and some of the policy resolutions that the Liberal Party members of Canada have decided to call on their government and their Prime Minister to put into effect also want to talk about some other things that are happening. We'll get our friend Rachel Emanuel back on for a check-in on what's happening in Alberta politics and the politicization of the horrific wildfires that are taking place there. But I, I want to begin by talking about something that I hope in spite of everything else in the world we can all unite on, and that is that the World Health Organization needs to just butt out, shut up, and go take a long walk off a short pier. I don't know if you criticize the World Health Organization if you get like the misinformation label slapped on you now but we'll we'll see it might even be appearing in real time below on youtube and facebook but the uh, killjoys at the world health organization came out with this observation uh, just this past weekend they say there is no safe level of alcohol consumption their argument is that the risk of cancer increases even with low levels of alcohol consumption so you are not allowed to have any alcohol apparently even even just a little bit Shh. you were supposed to keep that graphic up oh goodness uh well okay well we've already just uh, dispensed with the idea this is not a world health organization uh, edition uh, approved edition of the andrew lawton show here so i'm gonna raise a glass to the killjoys at the who and uh, be utterly ignorant of their advice let me just take a, a sip here so i can get through the rest of the show oh a lovely uh, buttery, a little bit oaky, not too much, and best of all, not approved by the World Health Organization. The argument that, by the way, normally I guess I could fill up this thing with wine. There has been a bit of a controversy on the True North team. Uh, one of our colleagues uh, thinks that the mugs are too heavy. So he's actually, when it's full, uh, not sufficiently strong to like lift the mug up to drink it. So uh, we thought we maybe need to add like a second handle on it. Or you can just uh, fill it with wine. But I'm, I'm going with the coffee in the mug, wine in the glass, and uh, Klaus Schwab and Dr. Tedros standing over uh, heckling me on the sidelines here. But uh, the, the reason I want to bring up that World Health Organization tweet is twofold. Number one, I wanted an excuse to sip my wine in the middle of the show lovely and number two there are going to be some of you like assessing how much it goes down as the show progresses and like when it gets to zero i might need to like throw on a commercial break and like go and refill it so you don't know but uh that was the number one number two and this is i think the most important thing 
the World Health Organization uh, bureaucrats were the ones who largely were responsible for making it so we couldn't travel, we couldn't work, we couldn't leave our homes for much of the last three years. So the one little joy that someone might have, which is being able to, I don't know, just sit back and have a cocktail with a friend or have a glass of wine over dinner or have a beer when you sit at the side of the pool because you're not allowed to go anywhere else, uh, to which they now say, well, even that you shouldn't do. That's just too dangerous, too much of a risk. Well, uh, the one way we delegitimize authority is by not abiding by authority. I'm not even a drinker. I'm like drinking on principle right now just to spite the World Health Organization, and I would encourage you to uh, do the same. Uh, let's talk about some of the more pressing issues of our time, though. If you follow British media, which is sometimes a very significant, I mean, I know we have our own problems here, but you get a lot uh, that's uh, you get a lot of a glimpse of what comes ahead and what comes down the road if you pay attention to other countries and specifically Europe. But the British Broadcast Regulator, which is the British answer to the CRTC, it's called Ofcom, has decided to sanction GB News over a broadcast it did in October, featuring my friend who's been on this show in the past, Mark Stein and Naomi Wolf, who is formerly a darling of the left a feminist author and scholar who's now uh, become very endeared to the right because she has gone against much of the progressive orthodoxy on things like vaccines and individual choice and your healthcare decisions and all of that. And Mark and Naomi Wolf, who I suspect disagree on a great many things, had a discussion in October about what they were arguing were the harms of vaccination. And Naomi Wolf, a, a practicing Jewish woman, uh, said that I'm not even actually, to be honest, I don't even want to say what she said, because then I'm going to, you know, get this show banned from YouTube. But she made claims, which you can look up for yourself in, in the full context. And I'm not talking about those things here. I want to talk about what happened. So this discussion seven months ago, seven months ago, is subject to this prolonged investigation by Ofcom, which this morning issued a finding that their conversation was essentially unlawful, that it violated the British broadcast regulations on protecting the audience from harmful opinions, effectively. That is what they said, uh, that the audience must be protected from her views and that radio stations, TV stations have an obligation to protect people from their views. Now, this, I wrote a, a substack about which you can check out today and I, I mentioned in the headline there soon only official narratives will remain and I believe wholeheartedly in that because we are seeing the decreasing bounds of debate you are allowed to have the official narrative the official position the government approved position and anything else is misinformation Again, YouTube, for example, outsourced for much of the pandemic, and I think to a large extent still today, its decisions on misinformation and what you're allowed to say in YouTube videos to the World Health Organization. So if you are in non-compliance with the, I mean, maybe just by drinking wine, I'm in non-compliance with the uh, YouTube World Health Organization regulations. But this is, I, I think, a huge problem that right now we are seeing and we are going to see more of. So why do we as Canadians, mostly Canadians, care? Because Ofcom is, I think, what Justin Trudeau wants the CRTC to be. An organization that doesn't just deal with the bare decisions to do with compliance and are you setting up the right wattage for your transmission tower and are you making sure that you're on channel 7 and someone else is on channel 8 and we don't have three people on the same channel, uh, but actually regulating content, which is what the CRTC is now able to do thanks to Bill C-11. They are expanding just from being a, a, a facilitator 
and to being an active participant in content, manipulating the algorithms as the CRTC now expands its power from the uh, realm of TV and radio to the realm of the internet. And uh, CRTC, if you look at this from the CRTC website, this was yesterday, uh, C11 passed a week ago. And CRTC has already announced its plans to modernize the broadcasting system. They did not waste any time at all. Uh, this was adopted. It was passed by the Senate, received royal assent. And without like waiting a week even, the CRTC is launching public consultations to figure out how exactly it's going to use all of its newfound powers. And we should be very concerned about this, especially when you look at what people want to have happen from here. To focus on the UK for a couple more moments, they are in the midst of the conservative government, conservative government, passing something called the online safety bill. Now, the online safety bill is largely what the liberal government wants to do with its uh, proposed online harms bill or online hate speech bill, whatever you want to call it, in Canada. They want to put in more tools, more mechanisms to regulate what they view as being online harms. Now, this is a very, very broad category. Included in it are things like hate speech and things like child pornography and things like misinformation. And uh, child pornography, I think we can all safely agree, is terrible and should not have a place on the internet or anywhere else. That's why it is criminal. But you get to misinformation and hate speech, and these things are a little bit trickier to define. And uh, a suspicious person like myself would wonder why the liberals want to include hate speech and misinformation in the same bill and the same discussion as child pornography. Perhaps it's because they know that anyone like me who's going to say, actually, I don't think you should regulate what people say online, they're going to turn around and say, oh, you like child pornography, which is absolutely absurd. But mark my words, that's going to be the discussion. That's going to be the caliber of the discourse. But uh, to bring it back to the UK, what's happening right now is WhatsApp, which is owned by Meta, the parent company of Facebook, is huge in Europe. I use WhatsApp as well, but everywhere else in the world, it's used a lot more fervently and frequently than it is for Canadians. And this is true among Brits. It's true among Europeans, Asians, I believe Africans as well are fairly large WhatsApp users. And it's a messaging app. It works similar to a text message, except it's going over IP protocols. And the thing about WhatsApp is that it is encrypted from end to end. And this is a big selling point. It's supposed to be more secure than your cell phone SMSs are. It is probably not as secure as Signal if you're a user of Signal, but very similar idea. And this means that even WhatsApp is unable to read your messages. This is the pl the pitch that they make to users. Well, WhatsApp is saying that when the UK's regulations come in, which will put reporting requirements in place for so-called unlawful content for social media companies, they're saying that they would actually no longer be able to use end-to-end -end encryption because all of a sudden they have to start spying on what people are saying in their private messages in order to officially uh, endorse what the government is expecting them to do, which is report if so-and-so sends a, an illicit or illegal uh, missive to someone else. And when WhatsApp said to the UK government, listen, we may have to pull out of the UK market over this, uh, you had a bunch of uh, conservative MPs, again, who are predisposed to online censorship, apparently, saying this is all misinformation, you don't need to get rid of end-to-end -end encryption, there's no privacy risk. Uh, one MP, I think it was Damien Collins was his name, said, no, 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 all we're saying is that they need to uh, report illegal content that they see.
Well, how does this work unless they start policing what their users are using WhatsApp for? But this is the era we are entering into. It's an era in which the internet is not a free place. The internet is going to be subject to regulation, surveillance, and oversight to a larger degree than we have today. And we look no further than the liberal convention on the weekend to bring it back home here, where of the many policy resolutions passed by liberal MPs, one of them in particular was to combat what the liberal members behind this policy resolution, uh, members from British Columbia, which I guess shouldn't surprise you, say is combating disinformation in Canada. We talked about this a little bit last week. They view disinformation as, quote, an existential risk to humanity. This is like the same language they use for climate change uh, three page earlier, if I'm not mistaken. They say that online information sources are the source of most disinformation aimed at Canadians. They say that those who produce misinformation undermine trust in people and institutions. They say that the demand for information 24-7 has increased the need for programming uh, contemporaneously with the loss of ad revenue to online platforms. And they say that mainstream media no longer has as many reporters as they used to. So all of this is bringing us to their resolution. Be it resolved that the Liberal Party of Canada request the government provide additional public funds to support ad-free news and information reporting by Canadian media through an arm's-length non-partisan mechanism. So be it resolved that the Liberals subsidize media more than they already are today. And more importantly, request that the government explore options to hold online information services accountable for the veracity of material published on their platforms and to limit publication only to material whose sources can be traced. So the two prongs of that, number one, that we hold online platforms accountable for uh, the veracity of material. So when uh, someone says, uh, well, actually, World Health Organization, you can stuff it. I'm going to enjoy a glass of wine. Oh, delicious. Then what happens is the government is to go to that person and say, hey, you know what? We're going to hold the social media company and you to account because we don't believe this is sufficiently voracious. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Or true. Uh, and then you have the other part of this, limit publication only to material whose sources can be traced. So right now, uh, you can trace this if you really want. I'm in my uh, little home office, True North, you know where we're headquartered. But if someone decides to post something anonymously, uh, this may not be traced. So perhaps it needs to get taken down. This is what the liberals want. Anything whose origins they cannot trace, they do not want to see, have, uh, to see the light of day, basically, they can have pulled down. And uh, it's easy to dismiss this as the liberal commentary it has as well. This is, I mean, it's just a policy resolution. It's, it's not policy for the party officially. It's not platform. It's not a liberal government bill. It's just what the members say. But, but this is like the unrestrained id of what liberal members of parliament want. This is if you leave liberals to their own devices and you put them in a room and say, come up with you, what you believe is the vision for Canada. This is what they come up with. This is what Justin Trudeau and 
in a majority government would have to do to keep his party's members happy. And if you look at the list, I mean, there are some things here that are bonkers. Like one of them is the, I mean, the word climate appears like 72 times, but it's uh, like more times than Trudeau has been in black, but well, not that many. Um, but it, it says climate crisis. Whereas we are living in a climate emergency and the 2022 Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report made it clear that any further delay and concerted global action will miss a brief and rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. Be it resolved that, that the Liberal Party of Canada urges the government of Canada to require public investment funds to divert from fossil fuels. So they don't think that CPP or any public investment funds should have any investment whatsoever in anything to do with traditional oil and gas. So the Liberals say we need to divest from the one of the most significant industries in Canada and be it further resolved that the liberal government urges or the liberal party of Canada urges the government to ensure the end of all subsidies to the fossil fuel sector before 2025 now this i'm actually for if we eliminate all green energy subsidies as well how about we put all our cards on the table we'll get rid of the oil and gas subsidies you get rid of the green energy subsidies and how do you like that but they're never going to go for that and that's exactly why the these arguments are so disingenuous. But this is what liberal members want. And I think it probably speaks to where the Liberal Party is and where Justin Trudeau is uh, more than he may admit when you see Liberal members coming out and saying this. And the best response that the uh, Liberal commentators have is, oh, well, I mean, they're just that they, they, they were just members doing their little thing. They're not really, you know, we, we pay no heed to the man behind the curtain. So right now, the Liberals would love nothing more than to see in Canada what we were describing in Britain, where you can't actually say what you want in a broadcast. You can't say what you want online. You can't perhaps as an anonymous source talk to the Globe and Mail because, oh, well, this is information whose source cannot be traced by the government. It's almost as though sources that can't be traced by the government are the great selling point of the internet. And, you know, there, there's a bigger picture problem here. And, and when I said in that substack of mine that only official narratives will remain in the future, I, I'm talking about both a cultural problem and a legal problem. The, the cultural problem is one that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the decline of debate, the dwindling confines of debate. But the legal problem is when things that would normally be rejected and denounced by people, things like misinformation and hate speech, become terms that are weaponized against dissent. I mean, I, I'm against hate speech. I'm against misinformation. I'm against dishonesty. I'm against all of these things. And I, I deplore these things. But I, I'm also uh, d very distrustful of government's ability to define these things in a way that is fair and not weaponized or politicized. Like I had a conversation with someone, not a particularly pleasant conversation a few weeks ago, who very much does not believe in free speech and, and was completely open about this. And, and what this person said is that, well, you don't get to debate facts, which fair enough. I mean, if you have uh, two people that are standing in the street in a torrential downpour, uh, soaking wet, and they're debating whether or not it's raining, you may look at this and be like, well, this, I mean, this is, why are we giving false equivalents to this, these two positions? Why are we letting someone say it's not raining? But the only way that you, if you take that argument to its natural end, you get to really do anything about that is if you decide to make someone the arbiter of what is true and make someone the arbiter of facts and give someone the power to decide which things cannot be debated. 
So I would say as a free speech lover, let the two people in the street in the rain debate whether it's raining and let us all laugh at the guy who's soaking wet trying to tell us that it's not raining because every now and then you may find out that guy ended up right. Maybe someone was dumping buckets from above and we couldn't see it at the time. But even if not, even if not, what we see here is the only way to avoid government shrinking free speech and shrinking debate is to allow the debate and allow the debates about things even when we are offended by an argument that someone puts forward or even when we believe that they're so wrong they don't even deserve a fair hearing. Because the alternative is Justin Trudeau and his liberal cronies getting to decide this issue is settled, you don't, get, you don't get to debate it. It's Ofcom saying, well, actually, Naomi Wolf, you don't get to talk about vaccine harms. You don't get to do that because uh, it is going to be harmful for people to hear your perspective. That is the outcome that these internet regulators want, and we absolutely cannot let them have it. Uh, one thing that I said I would do a couple of weeks ago is uh, cover the Alberta election as it goes on. I mean, this is going to sneak up on the election day is in just 20 days, less than three weeks time. And we haven't seen too much movement in the campaigns. They're still mostly staying in Calgary, although Danielle Smith did do a press conference in Edmonton. But the campaign has had a bit of a hitch with the wildfires raging in parts of Alberta. Obviously, if you listen to the Daily Brief, you heard Rachel Emanuel and I chat about this a little bit yesterday. But it's become a bit of a political issue as to campaigning in the midst of crisis. Danielle Smith was criticized by Rachel Notley for uh, talking about this at a campaign event. And then Rachel Notley went along and did a campaign event. And my colleague, Rachel Emanuel, uh, asked her how she squared campaigning herself during a tragedy. Take a look. Rachel Emanuel, True North, Miss Notley, how is the Premier showing insensitivity when you're here in Calgary today hosting a campaign event and she's up in Edmonton dealing with the wildfires? I believe that we are both continuing to work on the campaign. Indeed, we've seen uh, uh, both of us do that. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we're doing. And, but in the meantime, uh, when it comes to uh, making announcements that impact uh, the victims of the wildfires, then that should be done in a political way. So is the criticism the Premier is receiving for the campaign event she attended over the weekend or other campaign events she might choose to hold inappropriate? Is it right for her to continue campaigning considering, as you said, we are in an election period? Uh, my concern is only that uh, she chose to announce the provincial state of emergency to her campaign workers before she announced it uh, to the victims, uh, the tens of thousands of victims of the war fire. And that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much. Jonathan Bradley Western Center. Thank you. We have questions from uh, from seniors here in the room who have some questions for Rachel. And uh, thanks for Jonathan Bradley Western Center. I got a question about the the. Yeah, your questions. Okay. You know that policy with your particular outlet where you have operated in hate speech against our candidates. How we value different questions from you. All right. I've gone over this, Jonathan, several times. Happy to continue talking about it. Happy to have that discussion with you. Thank you for coming. That was uh, just at the tail end there, Jonathan Bradley of the Western Standard, not having the uh, forcefulness of our very own Rachel Emanuel. He gets uh, blocked and accused of hate speech, which admittedly is probably all in a, a day's work for an NDP campaign staffer. But nonetheless, Rachel Emanuel lived to tell the tale. She joins us now. Let's, let's just talk about that little uh, exchange there first, Rachel. Rachel, because obviously uh, Rachel Notley has been dogged for not talking to independent media on this campaign, but you did get your question in there. You didn't encounter any roadblocks yourself? 
Well, there were certainly some roadblocks. Uh, when I got to the press conference, I could tell they didn't maybe recognize me or maybe they did. One of the NDP staff or the one that was featured at the end of the video came up, you know, introduced himself. I let him know that I was from True North. That's when you saw the whispering among the NDP staffers beginning. What were they going to do? How were they going to deal with me? I was surprised when the press conference began and they didn't ask me to leave. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, Kian Bexty of the Counter Single and Alex Dollawal of Rebel News were actually asked to leave to the point that security was even called, up, called on them and they were escorted out of the premises. But no, the press conference began and I realized the problems were going to begin afterwards when all the legacy media reporters lined up to get their question. And I noticed I was at the tail end of that. And in between asking their questions, the legacy media re reporters would hand the microphone back to the NDP staffer who would decide who would get it next. I was second last in line behind me was Jonathan Bradley. And when it was my turn to ask a question, they decided to take questions from the phone. So after taking one question from the phone, I thought, this is ridiculous. You and I have both experienced not being able to ask questions when we call into NDP press conferences or when we video in over the Zoom. And so I thought, no, this is my chance. So I just sort of yelled my question out. I thought she can answer it or she can't, but everyone's going to hear it. I know this is being live streamed and I certainly have it on video. And to her credit, Rachel Notley did have the ability and was willing to answer my question. I don't know why they felt the need to make such a stink out of it. I think it would have been a lot easier for everyone if they just handed me the microphone and then they decided to end questions from the press after I got my questions in. Unfortunately, Jonathan Bradley was blocked, as you saw in the video, and was unable to get his questions in. Yeah, he, he hesitated because you just like continued with the question. He like faltered, which sort of gives them the window to, to get in there. But uh, let's talk about the actual substance of it here, because I, I think you're raising an important point. I mean, whenever there is a, a fixed election as there is now, obviously the campaign is going, people are going to be voting. You need to get your message out. But having the wildfires throws a wrench in that, especially if you are the premier and you actually have a governmental role and you have emergency services to deal with. And she's been doing this. I mean, she declared the provincial state of emergency. She's spoken to Justin Trudeau in this capacity. So what was Rachel Notley's issue, really? So Rachel Notley decided to continue her campaign. And I asked her about that. You know, she's allowed to do that. It is a fixed election campaign. We're voting on the 29th. It would be very difficult. I'm not even sure how entirely possible it would be to move that election date. It looks like the chief electoral officer would have the power to delay the vote in certain ridings. But, you know, in a country like Canada, you expect to have your election in a timely manner. You expect to have the vote results in a timely manner. And so Rachel Notley said she was asked before me by a CTV reporter if she had considered delaying her campaign. And she said, you know, it's a difficult situation for Albertans, but ultimately we are in an election period. And then I asked her about it again because she started criticizing Danielle Smith just before I asked my question there, calling the premier insensitive. Now, the reason she called Daniel Smith insensitive is because on Saturday, Daniel Smith announced a state of emergency in the province due to the ongoing wildfires. There were over 100 at the time. But before she announced it to the public, she just let a group of UCP supporters at a fundraising event. She let them know she was going to be announcing that she was going to the emergency. And there was a video of this circulating online. So it was revealed that Daniel Smith had announced this incoming emergency to UCP supporters before announcing it very shortly after at a actual press conference. And so Rachel Notley was criticizing the premier for that, calling it insensitive. Now let's be honest, I don't know that anyone actually really cares about the fact that 
Danielle Smith let a couple of UCP supporters know that she was going to be calling a state of emergency an hour before she announced it to the province. I think the people who have actually been displaced by the fires and have lost their homes are quite a bit busier with other things at this time. And I think it's disappointing to put make a partisan issue out of something that is a natural disaster, which is really a crisis in the province and which is affecting Albertans. You know, imagine waking up one day to the news, your home has been burned down, all your lively possessions, they are gone. That would be extremely difficult news. This is really when Albertans look to their leaders to sort of rally together. And so I couldn't help but take note of the fact that, well, Danielle Smith, other than that one fundraising dinner she attended on Saturday afternoon, has completely stepped back from campaigning. She is dealing entirely in her role as premier to address the fires over these past couple of days. Meanwhile, Rachel Notley is out campaigning, as is her right to do. You know, that's her decision. And yet she's criticizing the premier from the sidelines. Well, the premier has made the decision not to campaign. So I felt I needed to ask her about that. You know, I asked her why she thought it was fair to call the premier insensitive while she's out campaigning. And, you know, you heard her response there. Now, neither has actually like officially suspended their campaign, correct? Danielle Smith, in her case, she's just more taken a lower key approach the last few days. Exactly. Neither of the leaders have officially suspended their campaign. Candidates in ridings where the fires are out of control or where evacuation orders have been issued have suspended their campaigns. But those decisions are being made at a local level at this time. And I don't suspect we are going to see a total suspension of either of the campaigns. Danielle Smith did end up making an announcement earlier today. That was her first announcement as party leader rather than premier since Friday. So far, and again, you, you can you can duck this question if you want. I shouldn't have given you an out, but I'm giving you an out. But do you think that when push comes to shove, this crisis helps, hurts, or makes no difference to Danielle Smith? It ultimately will come down to how Danielle Smith responds to this crisis. I think she's done a very good job. I've even seen, shockingly, some craze from left-wing Twitter you would Twitter users and called a miss, you know, saying she's showing herself to be a real premier, a real leader in this situation. I think her decision to ultimately step back from campaigning will be seen as the right one. You know, Albertans and Canadians at large, they don't really like election campaigns. It gets very dirty. It gets very vicious. It gets very personal. And it's tiring mm -hmm. to listen to. You're hearing these constant attack ads. They all kind of seem to be saying the same thing. No one's being convinced of anything. But here we have a natural disaster. This is a crisis that needs to be dealing with. So if a leader like Danielle can stand up and show that she's moving forward and dealing with this crisis effectively, ultimately, I think it will be a good thing for her in the long run. And I'm just not sure that Rachel Notley's decision to attack the premier while she continues her own campaign is going to prove to be the right one in the end. All right. Well, we appreciate the update. We'll let you get back to the campaign trail. Rachel Emanuel, our Alberta correspondent and host of the Alberta Roundup. And also we'll have an announcement in the coming days about our coverage plans for election day. So uh, stay tuned for that. But thanks very much, Rachel. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Rachel Emanuel, keep up with her work and other Alberta election coverage over at TNC.news. I just want to mention as we uh, wind down here, I, I didn't, I, I've neglected to mention the coronation. The problem with uh, doing the show on Tuesday is that uh, sometimes things that happen over the weekend just feel like old news, uh, whereas if we were on Monday, we'd be able to uh, talk about them. And there was a big one, which is the coronation of King Charles III. Now, I should say here, I know he is a very polarizing figure to our audience. There are uh, photos of King Charles and Klaus Schwab. He's been very much an activist uh, as Prince of Wales in a way that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II never was. And I, I think as uh, someone who values the traditions of the constitutional monarchy we have in Canada, uh, the big question will be, does he become 
a kingly version of Prince Charles or does he adopt the role and embrace the role and be a king who is not an activist? And he has said uh, in the past that he realized that he needs to be a king for everyone. So perhaps his proclamations on environmental catastrophe, which he makes when he gets off the private jet and gets into the car and uh, gets onto the other private jet, uh, he realizes that perhaps he doesn't get to make those. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, surely we can all get together and disagree with the way the woke respond to this. Uh, there was one woman in particular who I had not heard of. I mean, I shouldn't even say she's a woman because you never know these days. Uh, she does uh, say she's a recipient of Women in Law Awards. But Dr. Uh, Charlotte Proudman or Proudman, proud person. Uh, Dr. Charlotte Proudman says uh, she tweets this picture of King Charles being crowned. Coronated is not a word, I remind you. Uh, and she writes, what a beautiful photograph of white male privilege and entitlement sums up who rules our country. Now, I, this sort of stuff you can kind of roll your eyes at in general, but as Twitter reminded people in the little context box before it, for 134 of the last 200 years, the United Kingdom's head of state, and that of Canada, by the way, has been the <laughs> has been a woman. So, like Charles is the guy right now, and she's saying it's a symbol of white male privilege and entitlement. Uh, I should have uh, just pulled up the picture of her her late Majesty's coronation, uh, which I don't think you would look at and see as being evidence of male privilege. Certainly, Queen Victoria, I think, would be mortified to learn that her reign, which uh, prior to that of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was a record, was also a bastion of white male privilege and entitlement. So uh, it's basically like these people play Mad Libs using the same word in every slot. And whether it works or not, they're just going to keep using it, uh, where it's like you would just be like on Jeopardy and you'd be like, you know, this was the longest river in Asia. And they would say, what is white male privilege? And you say, well, okay, you, you lose on that one. This is the uh, best-selling novel by Margaret Atwood set in a dystopian land. And they say, what is white male? Well, that one actually works, I guess. But you get the, you get the gist. They kind of just only have one line, and that is the line. So uh, whether Charles is there or uh, Elizabeth is there or... Uh, Will I mean, surely William is not going to be white privilege. I mean, white male privilege. William is... Just, I don't even, well, William is not even privileged. He's just boring now. But anyway, we uh, will, we will revisit that. I know he's polarizing, but he is your king. So I'm not going to make you a bow or curtsy before him, but I will say that you can respect the institution while being a little bit skeptical of the man himself. Uh, as we talk about white male privilege, let's talk about Mother's Day and Father's Day, which are approaching. If you haven't gotten a Mother's Day present, you have until uh, basically Sunday at whatever time you're meeting with your mother, which is hopefully early on. And the reason this is relevant is because there was a school I learned of in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which decided that it was just too offensive to have Mother's Day and Father's Day. So they actually did a, a more inclusive shift away to a, a commemoration that they say is about celebrating all people. They want to kind of celebrate all people that are involved in raising children, not just uh, mothers and fathers. Uh, this is the Kildonan East Collegiate School in Winnipeg. The memo says they're going to encourage non-gender specific observations of 
all those who support our students. And like most public school, uh, public school environments, they misspelled the word students, which is a, a really, really great uh, step here. Maybe they should spend more time on staff literacy and less on trying to wokeify Mother's Day and Father's Day. But I thought this was a, a bad enough story. And then today, I find out that uh, one Toronto public school made the horrendous, horrendous mistake of celebrating Mother's Day. This is the Q Beach Junior Public School in Toronto. They put a lovely sign up front ahead of Mother's Day. They say, life does not come with a manual. It comes with a mom. Oh, that's so lovely. That's so lovely. The, the sentiment there is that your mother guides you through life. There's no handbook. Your mother will, and certainly in my case, tell you how to do a lot of things. She's been a wonderful woman. Not everyone was raised with a mother, but I don't think we are uh, sufficiently required to dis-celebrate uh, people that did have mothers that were influential in their lives. Well, one person, it seems like, complained on Facebook about this. And now the Toronto school has pulled the sign and they've replaced it with something else. Now, this is just like laughably hilarious. The sign they put up has nothing to do with mothers, nothing to do with parents. It's a celebration of May. They say, make this month count. That's for M. Accomplish your goals. That's A. And you can do this, which is why. Although, hang on, let, let's uh, take a closer look. Uh, it's not accomplish your goals. It's accomplish your goals. Um, so perhaps they used all their M's on the first line with M and make and month. But uh, now we are to accomplish our goals. So I go back to perhaps school administrators need to learn things themselves instead of spending so much time. Uh, well, she, Sean, you should work. Sean, my producer, just said they could have used an upside down W. So they actually don't have any W's in that sign. They could have used a W. Yeah, they could have been in, used the upside down W. So I, I agree. They, or you even could do a sideways E. If you're really, really, really desperate, you can do a sideways E. So surely if they didn't have an M, they had an E or a W. Or they they could just, uh, you know, get lost and not change the sign in the first place because the Mother's Day sign was perfectly adequate. Now, Sean says that he uh, went, he knows this uh, psychology very well because he went to a leftist uh, beaches school in Toronto, but he somehow uh, came out and is working on the Andrew Lawton show, which I'm sure would mortify his former classmates. But uh, if you stuck around, Sean, you could have uh, been the, the sign maker in chief. You would have done a better job because you actually know how to spell, unlike the, uh, the principal or vice principal there. So I, I think now you can be subversive in many ways. And my guidance to you is to be subversive by celebrating Mother's Day and celebrating mothers. That is, uh, I didn't think that would be a contentious or controversial point, but apparently it is. So that does it for us for today. We will be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.